You know what the great part about Jesus Christ is? He knows our need even before we ask Him. My wife just recently came down with this excruciating headache that lasted for about a week. Now, some people are trying to claim that it's because she has to live with me, but those reports are unconfirmed. And uh, But, you know, when she had to go to the doctors, they run her through a battery of tests. Okay, what is the problem? In order to find out the problem, they have to do all these tests. They, they check one thing, eliminate that, check another thing, eliminate that, put her through all these uh, different medications and procedures, and, um, and it's difficult to find out what the ultimate problem is. But, you know, when it comes to Jesus Christ, He doesn't have to try to figure out what our problem is. He doesn't have to put us through a series of tests to try to find out what it is that we need. You see, He already knows our need. Turn to John chapter 11, if you would, with me this morning. And in John chapter 11, we find that a man by the name of Lazarus becomes sick. And so his sisters send for Jesus to help him, to help Lazarus so that he does not die. And we will be covering much of this passage, but let's just begin by reading verses 1 through 4. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was, the, it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Today we're going to see that Jesus responds to our need with wisdom, love, and power. Jesus responds to our need with wisdom, love, and power. And so I want to answer the question for us today, why is the response of Jesus always right? Why is it that Jesus knows what our problem is? And the first reason that, that we can say that Jesus' response is always right is that Jesus is God. Because Jesus is God, He knows our need. In verse 4 we find that... or Let's start in verse 1. In verse 1, Lazarus has a problem. We find out that Lazarus is sick. So this is the problem. And so his sisters send for Jesus because they know that Jesus is a healer of sick, sick people. And uh, so we see that in verses 2 and 3 that they call for Jesus. And then in verse 4 we find that Jesus knows the need already. Because he says, verse 4, but when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. You see, the reason that Jesus can respond to our need is because he knows our need. Now, it appears as if Jesus may be caught off guard, because if you know the story of Lazarus, you know that Lazarus actually does die. So why does Jesus say that this sickness will not lead to death? What exactly does he mean there? I think what he means is that this sickness will not ultimately end in death. Meaning, in the ultimate sense, this sickness will result in resurrection. He will die, yes, but it's temporary. And that's why Jesus calls it, uh, the term that they used in that day was sleep. No, he's only asleep. 
Okay, it's not the fact that he he's still breathing, and yet he's um, he's just not aware of his surroundings. It is that he is dead. But the point is, is that it's temporary. So ultimately, Lazarus will not end his life with this sickness. It's only temporary because Jesus was going to raise him from the dead. So it's not fatal in that sense. Jesus knows our need because He is God. And there's two reasons from this passage that I say that Jesus is God. The first is that He he knows the future. Do you notice that in verse 4? He says, this sickness is not to end in death. Jesus knows the outcome already. Who else knows what will happen in a given situation? None of us do in our own lives, let alone in the lives of those people around us. But Jesus does. And that is because He is God. And the second reason I say that Jesus knows our need, or the second reason that I can say that Jesus is God, is look at verse 25. Jesus calls Himself the source of life. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is the source of life. And as we saw during the Sunday school time, we saw that only God can raise the dead. The Jews knew this very well. In fact, in the Old Testament, they were familiar with verses like Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, and 1 Samuel 2.6 and 2 Kings 5.7 that all speak of only God being able to raise the dead. Only God can do that. And Jesus is saying that I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you want life, it is sourced in me. We'll see that uh, later as we move through the passage. But Jesus is God. And because He is God, He knows what our need is. So whatever it is that you have as a need that needs to be taken care of, Jesus already knows it. He already knows your need. The second uh, response to our question is, um, and the question was, why is the response of Jesus always right? First of all, it's because Jesus is God. Secondly, it is that Jesus is perfectly wise. Jesus is perfectly wise. Because He is perfectly wise, because He is wisdom, He responds to our need better than we can. And we see that in verses um, 5-32. through Let's begin reading with uh, chapter 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that He was sick, He then stayed two days longer in the place where He was. And then after this, He said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that that you may believe, but let us go to him. 
Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And therefore, when Mary came, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When we look at a particular problem, we may respond with our best interests in mind. But Jesus does better than that. He responds in, in two primary ways. Because He is wise, He responds with God's best interest in mind and also with our best interest in mind. Look at verse 4 and we'll see that Jesus always responds with God's best interest in mind. Verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard this, He said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Jesus lived to do His Father's will. In fact, He often said, when the disciples said, Lord, are you hungry? He would say, My food is to do the will of My Father. That is, My food is to do what My Father desires. That is what I live for. That is more important to Me than physical necessities. My food, what I am living for, is to do what God desires. So everything that Christ did in His life was to do the will of the Father, to glorify God, to magnify the name of God in everything. And it says there at the end of the verse, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. You see, Jesus knew that part of exalting God was exalting Himself. And He was not doing this in a proud way. It was, it was because He was God. Because Jesus is God, He can exalt Himself. Unlike us, we cannot exalt ourselves because we are not God. In John chapter 5, and verse 23, um, the Father says, All should honor the Son even as they honor Me. That's what God says. If you want to honor Me, God says, then you need to honor the Son. And so those people who suggest that Jesus Christ is not important or Jesus Christ was just a human or that Jesus Christ was was just a person that lived and He was a good man, they reject this truth about God that, that those who want to honor God 
as King, as Lord of all, must honor the Son. And Jesus recognized that. So when Jesus responds to our need, He responds with God's glory in mind. With what is best from God's perspective. What is in keeping with God's plan. But not only that, we also find that Jesus responds with our best interest in mind. And sometimes when we look at what Jesus is doing in our lives, it does not make sense, does it? And this is exactly what's happening in our passage here. The plan of Jesus does not make sense. We find that um, there's two main things that He did in this passage that don't make sense to us. First of all, He waited too long, didn't He? Lazarus was sick. He got warning. Why did He not go right away? Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that He was sick, He went right to them. No. It says, He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. When we look at that, we think, what was He thinking? And that's what Mary and Martha and the others were thinking as well. In fact, they, they say as much. Look at verse 21. Look what Martha says when, he, when she comes to meet Jesus. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Look at verse 32. Martha says, or Mary says the exact same thing. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The Jews recognized this as well. Remember, the Jews, Jerusalem's not too far from Bethany where Mary and Martha lived. And so the Jews came down to console Mary and Martha in the time of their death, in the time of their loss. And so uh, they came down to console them. But look what they say in verse 37. But some of them, that is the Jews, said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? You see, they recognized that Jesus waited too long. Jesus, your plan does not make sense. But why is it that Jesus waited so long? See, we have the whole story, so it's it's a little bit easier for us to see because we weren't in the moment. We didn't we uh, are unlike them in that they did not know that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead, did they? Because when Jesus asks Martha, He says, do you know that, that He will be raised? In fact, Lazarus will be raised. And she says, of course I know that Lazarus will be raised on the last day. Verse 23 and 24. She says, I know that He will be raised on the last day. She didn't even understand what was about to happen. She was thinking final resurrection, meaning that His body eventually would be raised back to life in heaven. But she didn't recognize that He was going to be raised to life now. And I think the reason that Jesus does this is so that, back to verse 4, so that He could magnify God's glory. It was better for Jesus to wait, to not act upon this sickness, wait for him to die because it showed his power even greater than it would if he would have just healed him from, from, his, from his illness. And so we find in verses 5 and 6 that, that Jesus loved them. It says that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and so he stayed two more days. Because he loved them, he stayed two more days. Now that does not make sense to us. You need to come and take care of this problem. But that's because... Um, Jesus 
had something better in mind. He had God's best interest in mind so that God could be glorified and ours so that Lazarus could be raised from the dead. And because he loved them, he even allowed them to go through this difficult, dark time in their lives. These four days when it felt like they were all alone. And, uh, and so he decided to wait and, and bring him back from the dead later. Now, it, it appears that Jesus, uh, that Lazarus was already dead when Jesus, or when the messenger had come to Jesus. Because, remember, Jesus waited two days, and then, um, and then he, he goes back to Bethany, which probably took a day. And then we find that when Jesus had come in verse 17, notice how long that Lazarus was already dead. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So if Lazarus was already dead four days, the messenger probably had just left with the news to go get Jesus. Tell him to come back quickly. Jesus waits two days and then goes back on the third day. But Lazarus was already dead four days. So probably the time that he received that message, he already knew, he already knew that Lazarus was dead by now. In fact, he tells his disciples, guys, Lazarus is asleep. And they say, oh, well, yeah, we know. If, he, if he's asleep, he's going to wake back up. So do we need to really go? And Jesus tells them, yes, we do need to go because the sleep I'm talking about is not literal sleep. It's, it's, uh, it's final sleep. It is death. It is separation from the body. So Jesus' plan often does not make sense because he waited too long. But secondly, because he traveled to a hostile environment. Look at verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? You see, he's traveling to a hostile environment. I said that Jerusalem was a couple miles from Bethany, so you had all these Jews consoling Mary and Martha. If he was to go back into that territory, his, his life would be in danger. And so they thought, you know, this, why would you do this? This seems foolish to go back into this hostile environment. They almost killed you. And Jesus' response is, is kind of complex, uh, com, uh, complexing to our minds, but uh, I want you to notice what he's trying to say there. Look at verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The disciples called it hostile or or dangerous because at that time the Jewish leaders were trying to kill him. The reason they were trying to kill him, we could go back to chapter 10 and verse 24 and other passages and see that Jesus had claimed to be God. Jesus had claimed something that no other person should claim unless they really are God. And so because the Jews were so concerned about truth and about the Old Testament Mosaic Law, they wanted to make sure that that was upheld. So if someone came in a name other than what they were, they were to be killed. And so they sought to stone him. Jesus escaped that in chapter 10. And now he has this opportunity to go back right into the middle of hostility. And what he does here in verse 9 is he tries to calm the disciples' fear by showing them that he is safe. He is safe because in the Father's calendar... It is still day. That is what he's trying to say here in verse 9. Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. The point is, 
I am still in the daylight of my ministry. As long as I am in the daylight of my ministry, no one can harm me. Because God has a perfect plan for me. And, and I will not walk in darkness, meaning I will not finally see death until, until God's calendar has, has it ready for me. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 4, I'll read this for you. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. So we're familiar with this language that Jesus used in John chapter 7, verse 30. He says, So they were seeking to seize Him, and no man laid his hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. John chapter 8, verse 20. These words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple, and no one seized Him because His hour had not yet come. John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father... The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. See, there was a time in Christ's life when the hour would finally come. When He could not walk any longer in the daylight. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, if anyone walks during the day, he does not stumble. He will not die. But once I get to the once my hour has come, I recognize that that will be my time. But right now, it is not my time. So I can go back into that hostile environment, environment, and no one will harm me. So we see that uh, that Jesus does things that don't make sense to us, but His plan is always the best. Jesus' plan is always the best. Well, we see that in a couple ways. Look at verse eleven. We see that Jesus' plan is best for Lazarus. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. For Lazarus, the best thing for him at that time was to be raised from the dead. And that is what Jesus was going to do. But but Jesus' plan is also the best for his disciples. Look at verse 14. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why would you be glad about that, Jesus? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. And therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. The point I think that we should get from from what Jesus is doing here is that Jesus' plan is always the best. Jesus' plan is always the best, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when we look at it and say, why would you do that? Why would you put this circumstance in my life? Why would you take this thing that I wanted so desperately from me? In their case, Lazarus. Why would you do this? It's because Jesus is God and He knows what is best for us. He always knows what is best for us. So He responds with wisdom. He also responds with love. Jesus is perfectly loving. So we can expect that He will respond to our needs with deep concern. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt like God was far away? When you felt like God was not there? When you felt like God had betrayed you Jesus always responds with love. Look at verse 33. 
When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus responds with love to our needs. We also see that in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha, and He loved her sister, and He loved Lazarus. Jesus responds with love. I remember a, a time when my mom was dying of cancer that I called out to God several times, God, please spare her from this. How could you do such an unloving act My mom is a wonderful person and she is serving you with all of her life. Why would you take her from us? We need her. And I remember calling out to God over and over again that He would heal her. And during that time and even afterwards, I remember thinking, you know, I don't think that was the best move. I think, where were you in this, God? Were you there? But God is always there. God always responds to us in love. And even if I never know the reason in which God for which God took my mother, even if I never know, I have to trust him because I am not God. God knows much more than we do. He knows everything. You see, we, we work on limited information. We work on our little, tiny worlds. We, we know what's happening inside of our worlds and we think we know what's best. And when God takes His plan and puts it upon us, we think, that doesn't make sense. Why do that? But God always knows what's best because He is God. Jesus cares about your need. Whatever it is. Every circumstance that has come into your life has come in for a purpose so that God can be glorified in it. Is that what is happening in your life? That is why we must trust God with our lives. So Jesus responds with perfect love. He also responds with power. Jesus responds to our need with power because He is all-powerful. Look at verse 38. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. And now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to Him, Lord, by this time there there shall be a stench, for He has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You have heard Me. I knew that You always hear Me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that You sent Me. And when He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And therefore many of the Jews who had came to Mary and saw what He had done believed in Him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told Him the things which He had done. 
We find here the method of Christ's power. You see, Jesus did not have to go in and, and bring in some sort of potions or some sort of formulas or some sort of magic spell in order to wake Lazarus up. What is it that Jesus used? Look at verse 43. When He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice. That's all it was. That He needed to raise Lazarus from the dead was His voice. Lazarus, come forth. His voice embodies so much power that even the dead obey Him. Even the dead obey Him. The source of Christ's power is in God Himself. And that is because He is God. Look at verse 24 again. Martha said to Him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus does not say, I give resurrection, which He does. Jesus does not say, I give life, which He does. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you want to be raised from the dead, if you want to receive life, it is sourced in Me. It is not just that I dispense it. It is that it is sourced in Me. And so saving faith... Okay, We're, we're going to make the transition now from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. And I hope you can see the, uh, the correlation here. Saving faith does not involve a, a belief in a certain set of principles or a certain dogma or in, in what a certain church believes. That is not saving faith. Saving faith is believing in Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in Him will live and they will never die. The point is not that that they will never die in this, in this physical body because it is appointed unto man once to die. In fact, Jesus Christ died. But it is that in the final day, in the final resurrection, when our spiritual bodies, are, when our spiritual uh, souls are taken up to heaven, we will be joined again with our body when our bodies are raised from the dead. And so we can we can be sure of this truth because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Paul says it this way. 1 Corinthians 15:56. He says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Because of our sin, we have to die. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we have to die. In fact, if, if Adam had never sinned, we would not die. We would not have had to die. We would all live uh, eternally. But because Adam sinned, we all have to die. But there is a response to that death. And that's what Paul continues in verse 57 by saying, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier he had said, the sting of death is sin. Death, where is your victory? You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has power over death. Death is dead for all those who believe. Death has no power over us. It will not finally take us and separate us from God forever. Jesus promised us promises us something much better than He promised for Lazarus. You see, Lazarus had physical resurrection. He was able to 
enjoy life once again, but we have a promise of spiritual resurrection. And that is, as, as humans, we are by nature children of wrath. Meaning, we are under the wrath of God. We deserve His punishment because of our sin. And the sad thing is, we have nothing that we can do to solve that problem. We can't do enough works in order to, to relieve that, that wrath that God has on us. The only thing that we can do is trust in Jesus Christ and allow Him to make the payment for us. In order, and allow Him to raise us from the dead, to raise our spiritually dead bodies. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, meaning you are spiritually dead. You have no life within you before Jesus saves you. Jesus gives us something much better than physical life. He gives us spiritual life. And so the result is that, that we will escape spiritual death. Now I want you to notice in verses 44 through 46 the response to Christ's power. The response to Christ's power. First, what I would expect to see is I would expect to see a response by, by Lazarus and his two sisters. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to know what they thought about the situation? Wouldn't you like to hear a first-hand account from Lazarus? See what it felt like to be dead for four days? Maybe that's the morbid side of me, but I would really like to know what that would be like. But that's not what John focuses on. And I think that is because that the focus of this story is not on the individuals. It is on Jesus Christ and what He did. Now, we do have a response, though. We do have a response from the Jews, from the Jews and that is in verses 45 and 46. Therefore, many of the Jews had come to Mary and saw what He had done, believed in Him. Now, this is an interesting turn of events because these Jews were initially a hostile group. Maybe some of these Jews were part of this attack that, uh, on Jesus just one chapter earlier. And yet now they are seeing this great thing and they are responding in faith. So instead of wanting to stone Him, they turn to Him in faith. But in verse 46 we find, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. This is not evangelism. Okay? This is tattletaling, basically. They are trying to to get Jesus into more trouble. And so they go back and tell the Pharisees what's going to happen or what should happen. Now, there's those are the responses that we find in this story. Not a whole lot. But what is the response that you have to this story? Now, maybe you think, you know, if Jesus were raised, or if someone were raised right here, I mean, I, I would certainly believe in Jesus. You know, if, if I saw Jesus raised from the dead, I would certainly believe. I mean, show me somebody rising from the dead. Show me Jesus walking on the water. Show me some of His miracles, and I will believe. But I'm telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, that you would not believe if you saw those things. John chapter 6, verse 36 says, I said to you, this is Jesus, that if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father, you have seen me and yet do not believe. Luke chapter 16, verse 31. This is the story of the other Lazarus who had went down into the pit and he was asking for someone to go back up and witness to his brothers and sisters and whatever. And Jesus said, listen, they won't believe if they see somebody rise from the dead. He says this, 
If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. You see my point here? It doesn't, you don't need to see somebody rise from the dead in order to believe in Jesus. All you have to do is believe what Jesus says about Himself. Do you believe what happened in this story? Do you think it's just a tale? Do you think it's just a fable? Maybe you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus really had power over death. Well, I can tell you that even if you saw that happen, you still wouldn't believe because Jesus says to Thomas, John chapter 20, verse 29, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Believed. I plead with you that you must believe in Jesus Christ. That you must trust Him for salvation. That He is the resurrection and the life. And that He has power over death. And the only way that you can be saved from your sinful condition is by turning to Jesus in repentance and faith. That means turning away from the sins that you are following and turning in faith to Him, believing that what He said is true, that who He is is, is, is true based on the Scriptures. He says in verse 25, He who believes in Me will live even if He dies, and everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. They will never die. That is, not they won't physically die. They will not ultimately die. You have a promise from Jesus Christ that if you turn to Him, you will be saved from your sin. What a great Savior we serve. That He has power over death. And He did that. He he accomplished that power in our lives and He can accomplish it in yours. When God awakes somebody from the dead, the only response they have is to get up and follow Him. And so that is where the repentance and faith falls in. Because you say, well, you know, if I'm turning from my sin and turning to Him in faith, isn't that a work that I'm doing? And I would suggest to you that it is not. Because you cannot do that work until God imparts life. Just like in the case of Lazarus, Lazarus could not obey the command to get up and, and come to him. Until when? Until God gave him life. You can shake a dead man. You can yell in his ear, but he will not respond to you until God gives him life. And so the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We are spiritually dead. We cannot respond to God. In fact, Romans chapter six says, Romans chapter eight says that we are hostile towards God. We are his enemy. And even if we wanted to please him, we can't. We can't even please him. No matter if we, we work up all of our effort, we can't please him on our own. The only thing that we can do is is implore God to give us life. We have to wait till God gives us life. And so when he does, he gives this commandment. For Lazarus, it was come forth. For us, it's repent and believe. Repent and believe. 
And if you have been given life, you will respond to Jesus' call. If God grants you spiritual life, you will respond. So what I am going to implore you to do, what I am pleading with you to do, is to respond to Jesus Christ with repentance and faith. Turn from your sin and turn to God in faith. And if you do, it will be evidence that God gave you life. And our response should be like the Jews, that we should believe in Him and be willing to give of our whole selves to Him. Aren't you thankful for a powerful, loving, and wise Savior who knows our need? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and how it instructs us as to how we ought to live. We're thankful that You brought us out of darkness because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the example that we have with this resurrection of Lazarus. And we pray that if there there is anyone here who does not know You, who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would turn to Him in repentance and faith. Lord, I can't make that decision for them. I wish I could. I can't twist their arm. I can't force them to agree to a certain set of beliefs because salvation is not based on a set of beliefs. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that You would give them the eyes to see. I pray that You would give them life so that they can respond to Your command. And I pray that those of us who are uh, believers, those who know You as as, uh, our Lord, we pray that You'd help us to follow You and to give our whole selves to You, recognizing that You have authority over all things. And even when things don't make sense, You always have what's best in in store for us. Help us to trust You in that. Be with us now as we go from here. Help us to to, uh, respond rightly to Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.